the rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we have the privilege of, again, looking at our lifestyle in Christ. We've looked at walk in love, that the fact that we have the, the love of Christ that we are to imitate in how we live our lives. And this morning we're looking at walking in light as children of light. And uh, I've it's been an interesting week for me to, to think about this passage as we consider uh, the, the blessing of light and yet the challenge of light as well, right? Because we all love light. No, none of us like to walk into a, a room when it's pitch dark and try to find our way through where we're at. And we, we love that ability to, to see the light, to, to, to walk in the light, and yet at the same time, we look at the pa- this passage here, and it talks about exposing the darkness. We get a little like, okay, what does this mean? How does this work? What are you really asking me to do? And it's all wrapped up in wh- where Paul is headed here. It's this new life in Christ that we have. Leo Sullivan tells the story of, of his uh, grandparents in the 20s. So actually, probably he's a little older than me if his grandparents were in the 20s. He says, in the late 1920s, my grandparents married and moved to my grandpa's old family home. It was a clapboard house with a hall down the middle, right? So can you kind of see how that worked, everything on the sides? In the 1930s, they decided to tear down the old house and build another to be their home for the rest of their lives, their forever home, right? So in the 30s, they're going to build their forever home. Um, Much to my grandmother's dismay, he says, many of the materials of the old house were reused in the new house right? I mean, that's what you would do, right, guys, right? You're like, okay, I got this wood here. It works. I'm going to use it. So they used old facings and doors and many of the old pieces of the finishing lumber. Everywhere my grandmother looked, he says, she saw the old house, old doors that wouldn't shut properly, crown molding split and riddled with nail holes, unfinished window trimming, right? It was a source of grief to her. I'm sure it was a source of conflict in their marriage, right? All life, all her life, she longed for a new house because all she could see was the old one. And when God brings us into his kingdom, the old ways of living must be dismantled and discarded, not rebuilt into the new way of life. And that's what we see here as Paul talks about this new way of life and walking in love and walking in light, right? He's talking about this new kingdom that but by the grace of God we are a part of. And that's why he says it, earlier in the chapter that we looked at, the passage that we looked last week, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words because you may be sure that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It's kind of an interesting phrase because he actually says it's, it's the, ki- the kingdom of the Messiah and God. It's like this, this, this kingdom that's being set up is the, the, the kingdom that Christ is setting up. It's his kingdom, and we look forward to it fully coming because of his death and resurrection and ascension to God's right hand. So this, this new kingdom that we live in is, is a different kingdom. It's, it's part of a different way of living. And, and also then, therefore, 
as a reminder, too, that there's judgment coming on those who don't join that kingdom, right? Those who are against the kingdom, rebelling against that kingdom, they're going to be destroyed. So there's two sides of this that remind us, even as we want to walk in love, that we have to walk in light. Because Christ's kingdom is being set up, judgment comes on those who don't get into that kingdom. And, and therefore, just walking in love without walking in light ends up in destruction. And so he says here, hey, if you want to walk in love, you have to include the concept of light. I know this because I'm, I'm married, <laughs> for those of you who don't know. And, uh, and when I tell my wife I love her and that I want the best for her, but I never do the dishes, never help with the laundry, never clean the floors, never help with the kids, she's like, how do you love me, <laughs> Right? Because to walk in light means I understand who she is. I, to walk in love toward her means I have to both say I, I have good intentions for her, but then I need to understand who she is and walk in light of who she is. I can't walk in love without walking in light. And that's Paul's point here as he develops this forward. He's like saying, okay, walk in love. Realize the love that God has for you, that he, Christ came and he died and he gave himself for you. And if that's true, then walk in that love by then learning who God is and walking in light. And that's what Paul wants us to look at this morning, is that we understand what walking in light looks like. And I want to notice that by just reading the passage and then seeing that the first point here is that we set the goal of doing what is pleasing to God. Set the goal of doing what is pleasing to God. Notice Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 7, therefore, because Christ's kingdom is real and that we shouldn't be deceived about the judgment that is coming, therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and true and right and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible, that becomes visible, is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the first idea of walking in light that I want to kind of explore this morning is that we set the goal of doing what is pleasing to God. He says, walk as children of light. <laughs> you are light in the Lord, or as Christ puts it, you are, uh, you are the light of the world, right? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What's interesting here is this idea of uh, try to do, discern what is pleasing to the Lord is the idea of, of it's a, an active verb. It's not a, a point in time, one, I made the decision, I'm loyal to Jesus, I'm going to do what's right before God, and then I, I'm done, I've figured it out, I can move forward. It's the idea of continually discerning, seeking to discern. You could translate it, start discerning or keep on discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continual process in your life once you are a child of light. 
Therefore, it's not a, a point-in-time thing, and it involves all of life, all of life. When we get to the walk in wisdom, it's going to flesh this out further, right? Because he's going to repeat the idea again. He's going to say, walk in wisdom and understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's going to point us toward that. It, the, the idea is when you're trying to discern what, what is pleasing to God, you, are, you have to use wisdom to do that. So the positive side of, of seeking this is that you're, not, that you're willing to change what you do. You're not like, okay, I'm, oh, I've figured out what's pleasing to the Lord when I'm 10, and I'm never going to change that. You know what I mean? Just keep doing the things that I'm doing at 10. And when I'm, when I'm 20, I'm still doing the things that I'm doing at 10? No, no, that doesn't work. You have to keep on as you grow and, and life changes. You have to determine what's pleasing to God right now. That's the positive side. The, the, the negative side is that that we're, we're, we're still, there's always going to be pockets of, of the, the, the battle in our life, so to speak, right? Where we're, we're, we're struggling. We're saying, okay, how do I, uh, I, I'm fighting to be light here. I'm not sure what's light here. I'm, there's a conflict inside of me about what to do and what not to do. I'm not sure, or I, I, I'm struggling with my, my loyalty to God, and we're, we have to set our, our, our minds to say, I am seeking to be pleasing to God. This word pleasing, it's translated in Romans 12 as acceptable. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Twice in Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? That word acceptable or pleasing to God. It's the same idea in Ephesians 5 that he's echoing here in Romans chapter 12. He's saying, well, you have to, you, because of the mercies of God, set, your, set yourself on, I want to please God. I want to do things that honor and please God. He says it one more time in Romans, in Romans 14. Again, talking about the kingdom of God where he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable or pleasing to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So he's, he's taking the idea and saying, oh, generally what we're saying is I want to please God. I want to set my life to please God, to respond to the mercies of God by giving my life to doing the will of God. And then he applies it in Romans 14 by saying, therefore, seek things that are pleasing to God, things that pursue peace and mutual building up of one another. You know, that, this is what we're trying to do with each other. The point here is that walking in light is not just the standard of, oh, where's the harm, you know? <laughs> Seems like the world often, that's the standard. Like, but I can do this, right? I'm not harming anyone else. I'm not doing evil to anyone else. That's not the standard here for walking as children of light. The standard is, where's the good? How can I do good with my, with my time, with my life? How can, I, how can I honor God? It's not that you're always doing everything that's good. Like, okay, I've got to just do good to everyone all the time. When I was in high school, uh, I struggled with this too, just because I loved reading. I loved to read, I would read, you know, I think I read War and Peace in 10th grade, and my parents were like, 
where did you disappear for, to for a month? I was reading War and Peace. It took me a month. What can I say? Um, and and, and, and so, uh, so, so you're saying, I was like, you know, your kid, my parents were like, but you need to do good with your life. And I was like, well, I didn't do anything bad. I read War and Peace. Like, what's wrong, right? And, and they're like, but, but there's more to life than just, just doing things that, that intellectually stimulating or whatever. Do I have a, got a problem? Seriously? Wow. I did not notice I had a problem. Okay. He's going to change me? Okay. Wow. That is different. Okay. So, nothing like having someone change you in, in, while you're in front of everyone else, right? So, so, what, so, I had to wrestle with, okay, if I love reading, but reading isn't always good, I had to apply wisdom to the situation, right? I had to say... Um, so, so, so I had to wrestle with the situation and say, okay, how do I do good in a situation? I can't just, just read, but reading is good for me. I can, I can think, I can consider, I can, I can put myself in different situations and learn what is good in various ways. But at the same time, if I, all I do is read and I never do good to someone else, then it's not balanced. And this is the idea of fruit that he's talking about, the fruit of light. He's not saying what you do, but what are the consequences of what you do? How does, what are the benefits? And children of light consider not just where's the harm, but what's the good? How does what I am doing and how I am pursuing my life, does it, does it help do good to myself and others? Does it help me love God and treat others well? Or is it simply things that I like to do and I'm like, well, I don't see it hurting anyone else, so I'm okay. And that takes wisdom. It takes a pursuit of wisdom, and Paul knows that, and he's going to go there and say, walk in wisdom. <laughs> but I'm just telling you up front, you, it's, you have to start with this commitment, this, this decision to, to set your heart on seeking to please God, to be acceptable to Him. And so just briefly, in application, where is your heart at? Are you seeking to please God? Have you, have you made that decision that you want all of life to look like pleasing God? And I get it. It's, it's going to take going through life and, and learning, okay, man, there's things that I need to change and do, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But have you made that decision? I, I want to please the one who saved me. I want to imitate the God who loves me. Or are you just simply doing what you're supposed to do not to get punished? Or maybe doing what you're doing, justifying your actions even though you know, uh, okay, I'm playing a game here. And, and this, again, this looks different for different people. Young people, as you go through life and you're seeking to, to walk in life, you need to learn truth. You need to, to learn the word of God and, and build good friendships because you're seeking to, to build a life that is walking in light. As you get older and you get the ability to, to, to control your schedule, so to speak, you, can, you need to learn to bless others with your schedule and not just based on what your parents want you to do. You need to find good mentors that, that are they're able to speak into your life in ways that help you to seek the good of others. Parents, Paul's going to tell us to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
That we, once we're, we have children, we have to reorient our lives about doing good to our children. It's just a part of being, walking in light. But we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6 that bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord really means living that way consistently ourselves, not just telling them what to do. And then as our children leave and or we, we, we enter into that, that oh, era of retirement or, or different stage of life, man, you've got so many stories of grace. Doing good means telling those stories of grace. Helping others to see God's grace in your life and maintaining the relationships that you can with joy. Realizing that, hey, these are the relationships God has given me and I can, I can keep those, I can build those up. Why? Because we are called to be children of light, to do good with our lives, to love others. And at different stages of life, to determine what that is and seek to do it to please God. But the opposite, or he says in a sense, but if you are light, then there is darkness. And he says, not only do we need to walk as children of light and seek to please God, but we need to walk as children of light and not be partners with darkness. Instead, expose shameful practices. Don't be partners with darkness. Instead, expose shameful practices. Now, he's talking here primarily in the context about two different aspects of sin that, that often dominate our lives. One is sexual immorality. The other is greed. G.K. Chesterton once said this, a century ago, he said, men do, do not differ much about what things they will call evils. They differ enormously about what evils they will call excusable. I would suggest, after a hundred years, that they do differ much about what the things they call are evil. We sometimes call evil good and good evil in our society today. And it's ironic in some ways that those who call Sexual immorality evil often struggle with greed. And those who call greed evil often struggle with sexual immorality. It seems like that we, the, the devil likes to use these two sins against ourselves to, to, to justify ourselves, to make us self-righteous. Like, well, I'm not doing that sin. I'm not greedy. And so I'm just loving. Well, or I'm not violating the sexual rules, but I'm greedy just living for money and wealth. And, and Christians are called to walk as children of light, to, to, not, to not be partners with darkness in any of its forms. And again, we're called back to this idea that we're, we're changing our lives. First Peter chapter 1 puts it this way. He says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You see, a major, you think back to the Israelites. They had 400 years of slavery. So they come out of slavery, they're free now, but a major problem that they've had over those 400 years is watching their masters have all the benefits, all the wealth, right? And wishing they were the masters and not the slaves. They had 400 years of training themselves in covetousness. 
of saying, I want what that guy has. <laughs> and being mad when they can't get it. God had come to free them, not just from physical slavery, but that, that mental slavery, that sinful slavery of, I've got to have what that guy has. We call it keeping up with the Joneses, right? And so one of the things he did was he instituted the Sabbath. Why? And you, it's, it's a complex thing. There's multiple reasons why. But, but one of those things is he's trying to say, hey, don't, don't work to get so much. Realize that what you've been given, what I am giving you, rest in, in who I am. Rest in the freedom you have. Rest in the, the, the gift you have of what I have given you. And if you can't work from that rest then you are enslaved. And what I suggest that even for us today, right, we, we struggle with this. We, our forefathers have taught us to be productive, <laughs> to, to get what we can out of life because you only live once, right? And we've been trained in covetousness as well by our forefathers at times. And instead of resting in God's grace and living out of that grace, we instead think, man, if I don't have a house by X year, and if I don't have this kind of income by this time, and, and if I don't have... And we define our lives and our value by what we can produce and what we can accumulate and what we can own. And that's covetousness. And Paul is saying, don't walk as children of darkness. Walk as children of light. Realize what you have in Christ. But they didn't just have 400 years of covetousness. They also had 400 years of sexual immorality, in a sense. They watched those Egyptians do whatever they pleased and have fun for 400 years. And then what happened? Moses goes up on the mountain. They build a golden calf and have an orgy right? Because, because they, that's, they're struggling with that as well. You see, the human heart is no different with the Israelites and with us. We, we struggle with these things as human beings. And God is calling us not to be children of darkness, but to be children of light, to walk in a different way. And one of the ways that we have to do that is know our own hearts, to confess our own sin. You can't walk as children of light if you don't understand where you are darkness. Where are you hoarding rather than being generous? Where are you building your identity on what you own rather than on who owns you? Where are you willing to fudge the rules sexually as long as it gives you what you want? What are you watching or reading or maybe even practicing that doesn't honor the one who redeemed you? There is so much material that is designed to draw lust and greed. And he says here, don't partner with it. Don't partner with it. Now I want to address one of the kind of the, the major ideas in our society today, which is why, why are you putting limits on love why would you say, hey, walk in love and then, and then limit it by saying, well, don't do this and don't do that? 
And I would just point you back to what love looks like. If you've ever been in a relationship where you are seeking to love them and they are seeking to love you, and yet someone, that person hurts you, what do you do? You really put up boundaries and limits. You say, that hurts, don't do that anymore. Everyone puts limits on love in order to find what is good for them. Right? Everyone does that. Let's not deceive ourselves here by saying, don't put limits on love. God gives us light and truth and rules, therefore, out of a desire for us to know him and for us not to hurt ourselves or others and yet have freedom to to do good with and to others. So, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, but I realize this is a major, major kind of mental thing you have to struggle through. Like, why put limits? Why put rules on this? Everyone does. It's just whose rules are you going to follow? And I would suggest that the God of grace and mercy who has lived forever in a triune relationship knows best how to make relationships work how to do relationships. And so we should listen to his rules. And so he says here, if that's true then, we should not become partners with them. Notice again what it says, Ephesians chapter 5. Take no no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Here, obviously there are results of the works of darkness. He's not saying there aren't consequences. What he's saying is there aren't aren't fruitful consequences, things that that benefit and and do good. They they destroy. The the point here seems to be that the major way that we expose darkness is simply by removing ourselves or refusing to participate in covetous type of activities or immoral type of activities. The exposure here is, like, is not so much, well, I've got, to, I've got to tell people how they're wrong. That's not the primary way he's saying to expose the darkness. The primary way is to simply refuse to participate, to not become partners, take no, take no uh, involvement in. So refusal to participate is exposure. Also, pursuing what is good and righteous is that sense of exposure. You're shining light into the situation. You're saying, I think this is love and this isn't love. And therefore, I'm going to pursue this. And then when people say, well, no, we think this is love. And you say, well, I don't think it is. I'm sorry, I can't participate. That's exposing darkness. Now, sometimes you might have the opportunity to explain why you're refusing. And I would just say, do this with wisdom. Be, as Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? There's a time and place to, to say, this is why I think this is wrong and, and you shouldn't do this. And there's a time simply to withdraw yourself from the situation. I would also say that confession of sin is also a way that you expose sin in others as well. And so, God calls us to walk as children, not simply to pursue what is good, but also to not participate in works of darkness. And yes, the world will hate you for that kind of exposure. As I was talking to someone this week, they made the comment, walking in the flesh is traumatic in God's world. (laughs) 
Walking in the flesh is traumatic. Why? Because God keeps working his world. And when we set our rules and say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make my life this way, and God's like, nope, that's not the way it works, then it's traumatic for us, for them. And they will hate you for that exposure. This week, in fact, I've had two different times people get upset with me because I simply said, I'm not going to agree that this is good. (laughs) I'm not going to participate with this. And so these are the two sides, and both the positive side of walking in the light and the negative side of walking in the light push us toward walking in wisdom. Do you understand this? You can't just be like, okay, I'm supposed to walk in light, I'm going to go do it. No, you have to think about it. It takes wisdom to consider, okay, how does this work? And that's, so you have to wait for the walking in wisdom thing. But our hope is not merely in walking in wisdom. Okay, I've got to figure this all out. And Paul knows that. And that's why before he goes to walking in wisdom, he says these last two verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, verse 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I'll just put this as point number three. Our hope is in Christ's light. Our hope is in Christ's light. See, our hope is not in our ability to influence people. It's not in our ability to figure life out for ourselves. Although we need to try, we need to seek wisdom, we need to pursue that that aspect of it. And he's going to say, walk in wisdom in a minute here. But he, he does this confusing verse, okay? It's kind of confusing. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. You say, well, what are you saying? Are you talking about people? Are you talking about activities? I think in context, he's talking about activities. When, when you have anything, you just think of, think of this object right here. You wouldn't know I was holding a Bible if all the lights were off, right? But we have lights, and you can see that I'm holding a Bible. Anything that, 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 that has light shine at it becomes visible, and he's making the point that once that, then he makes, he makes the second point of saying, for anything that becomes visible is light. And he turns it around. He said, anything that becomes visible is light. He's saying, even those shameful things that people do, when they're exposed as shameful, it, 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 it's a form of light. It's like saying, ooh, stay away from this. You know, like if you're, if somebody for, for, for prank or whatever reason had somehow blown a hole in the, in the, in the floor of our auditorium and then but turned off all the lights and said, hey, everybody go in the auditorium, right? No one would know there was a danger. But if we turn on the lights, then we realize there's danger. I don't, I'm going to avoid that hole, right? And so when we pull back from things, when we say, I'm not going to participate in there, I think that's dangerous. It exposes that dangerous. But then, he, he quotes here what is probably an early church chorus. It's not from the Old Testament. It's not a quote from the Old Testament. It's probably something that, that the early church used as kind of a, just a simple phrase, a simple song to encourage believers to think about who they are in Christ. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's, a, it's maybe a reference to Luke, right, where Zechariah says, Christ is the day spring from on high. He's this light that's come into the world. 
This, this light that is, is coming into the world it shows us what's really important in life, that, that there is, it's not just live and then die and that's all there is and what you get what you can out of life because you're going to die anyway, but we, there is eternal life. There is life after death because Christ came and then he died and then he rose again. And this is the new reality we live in as believers. We believe that Christ died and rose again, correct? We believe that, that he came and gave his life for us. If that's true, then all of life changes. All of life is different. Because we go from, okay, how, what can I make of this life? And how can I find some joy in this life? And what can I do? to be happy and maybe have some fun and get, get, get a few desires met in this life, to, wow, eternal life exists? I, I, I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to consider what God's plan is for me. That, I mean, we read it this morning. Ella read it, right? He's planning to give us eternal kindness in the coming ages. Like, this eternal life is going to be filled with kindness, from God, that this is my life now. And that is our hope, is it not? Our hope is not in our ability to make everyone like us, nor is it our hope to have whatever we can out of this life and, and grasp every experience that we can. Our hope is in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Awake, O sleeper. And rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. We have new life in him. Our fundamental existence is now that we have risen from the dead. Our fundamental purpose is to imitate God and his love for others. When we realize that we walk as children of light, the old ways really do produce death. And the new way of grace really does produce life. Do you believe it? Will you walk in it? You say, well, we live in so much darkness. Robert Bella, a sociologist who teaches at University of California in Berkeley, is very interested in the influence of religion in the community. He made this comment, we should not underestimate the significance of a small group of people who have a new vision of a just and gentle world. The quality of a culture may be changed when 2% of its people have a new vision. There are many more than 2% of Christians in our world today. I would suggest just that we walk as children of light, that we seek to do good, and that we not participate in what is evil. And that by doing so, God can use us as the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So the question is really, are you walking in the light? Or are you hiding? I know what it's like to hide. More of an introvert growing up. I didn't like to be noticed. Didn't like attention drawn to me. Tried to skate around that as much as possible. 
And God is not saying, okay, you have to go be an extrovert. You got to have demand attention from people. That's the only way light can happen. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, will you seek to do good? Where you see opportunities. And will you seek to not <laughs> participate, not partner with those who are doing evil? And let God use your light wherever it may shine. Will you do that? Because our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in what he has done for us, right? This is not about us. We are living in Christ's world. He rules and reigns. He is coming again. So shine your light. And as we'll learn how to do that wisely, hopefully. So I'm going to give you two thoughts, just really quick. If you're never going to be here again, and you don't know Ephesians. Um, one is walk in wisdom. He's going to talk about just walking in the Spirit, being joyful. <laughs> That's one way of being light. The other thing he's going to say is, at the end of the book, he's going to say, stand. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers. Just stand in the Lord. You don't have to, you don't have to fight people. You don't have to say, get it all right and say all the right things. All you got to do is say, this is where I am. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. This is where I'm at because I'm following Christ. Stand in the power of the Lord. And so just two thoughts you can pursue if you want to on your own time. But walk as children of light because you are. You are children of your heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you and confess our own sin. We, even in ourselves, we are not all light. We have things that we hold on to from our old way of life things that we want to cling to or because we like or because we think it's important or because we think that it will define us. And God calls us to walk as children of light. You call us to do that, Lord. Lord, may your grace pour into our hearts. May your love fill us. Help us not to hide. Help us to seek to do good. And help us wisely to avoid doing evil or walking with those who do. In your son's name, amen.